Right, good morning. Um, I think it might be time for you to uh, get up and stretch around and do something a bit different. So, uh, are we ready to go? How does this work now? I've got a different pointer. It's the downwards one. Ah, there we go. Uh, what I'd like you to do, and uh, again, this is in your notes, so this might help you, although there are some missed off the bottom of your notes, although that might just make it quicker, uh, is to get into your groups again. I think, the, you know, the, uh, the uh, E2, whatever it is, groups can go into the uh, other bit over there again. And uh, so on page 10, there's this exercise. What I want you to do is to... Uh, Divide those up in your groups, probably if uh, one person takes 1, 10, 19, next person takes 2, 11, 20, something like that. Just quickly look those up, and each one has a, a phrase about what we are to do in the Christian community to one another, or for one another. Or sometimes it uses the word each other. In Greek it's the same, but we have two versions in English, one another, each other. Okay. And uh, just a quick statement, don't read out the verse, just pick out what it is, there are, sometimes there are two or three that you are to do two or four one another. So just look them all up and then just sort of shout them into your group and uh, you'll get a picture of all the different things in the New Testament. It's not just Paul, actually, it's all the way through the New Testament. You get again and again this refrain of things we're to do for one another in the Christian community. Okay? So if you do that very quickly, you'll get that sort of picture of uh, what it is. And then uh, what I've done is uh, kind of group them together. Oh, those are the answers. Quick, quick. Um, group them together and so what I want you to do is just uh, and again those, that, that's written out is uh, then to discuss in your group uh, which you think you're good at and the word you there can be uh, singular you personally but also you as a community which of these things you think you're good at which uh, you think you're not very good at and uh, what it is that perhaps stops you doing more of uh, this one anothering to each other or perhaps but what means what, why it is that you're not good at some of the things. Okay, is that clear? Great, go. <laughs> yeah, just go wherever you were before and we should, everyone should get there very quickly. You can have that one. Well, yeah, take that one. If you just go around your group and say you're number one, you're number two, you're number three, then uh, then you should be able to sort that out fairly. No, come back into here. Come back, and it might be helpful if you were rough in your groups, but um, well, no, don't worry. Just find a seat. Yeah, it's too complicated. Uh, just while people are, uh, are arriving, uh, let's take some feedback on uh, what you thought were your strengths in this list. Okay? Uh, let's do it as a congregation, not as individuals, but as a, as a congregation. What do you think are your strengths in this list? Anybody disagree? We <laughs> <laughs> uh, thought there was considerable peace and agreement in the church. Right, yeah. Okay. 
Okay, good. Uh, it was uh, just the comment that the, there's considerable peace and, agree, and, and agreement in the congregation, particularly compared to perhaps some of the sometimes in the past. So, are there others that you think that you're strong at? Acceptance. Acceptance. Yep. Okay. Encouragement. Okay. Uh, okay, there's an acceptance of our brokenness, and uh, uh, and I, I think that's great. Actually, I often describe our congregation as uh, a messy, a group of messy people led by messy people, and uh, that's a fairly good description of uh, who we are. And uh, I love it. I tell you, I love that. Um, I come back again and again to that first beatitude where Jesus says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit," which I sort of think is probably a modern paraphrase would be, "Blessed are the broken people." And, uh, you know, when another pastoral problem appears, and uh, we do get some bizarre ones, um, I just think, oh, praise God, what a privilege to serve, uh, to be a broken person serving broken people. And to be, uh, because that's where God's kingdom is being built, and uh, where God's blessing is. Okay, what are you not so good at? Not enough kissing. Not enough kissing. You know, uh, it is interesting, isn't it, how much the kissing comes up. But I'm sure you'll put that right this afternoon. Yes, interesting. Is it? Is it? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm sure it is cultural. But I, but the handshake can be. There's, there's, something, there's something about the physicality of that welcome, isn't there? I was talking to a, a guy from, uh, who's, uh, who's Dutch, who's going out with a Spanish... Uh, um, his, his girlfriend is Spanish. And I was saying, oh, you know, actually English attitudes are changing. We do, we do in the kissing a bit more. But the problem is, because we're English, we have no idea whether it's once, twice or three times. <laughs> And he said, well, that's easy. North Europeans, uh, you know, and so then we sort of left kind of our cheeks floating in the air, not quite sure, you know, whether we were supposed to be doing another one or not, you know. And uh, he said, oh, that's easy. The North Europeans do it twice and the Southern Europeans do it three times. And I said, well, what happens when a North European meets a Southern European? He says, None of us, n- neither of us know whether we're doing two or three and our cheeks float in the air. <laughs> so there we are. Any others that you're not so good at? Yes. Praising. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's not something you do to one another, although you do speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And uh, which interestingly means that when you have your corporate worship, you're not just addressing God, you're actually addressing one another. And you're extolling the worth of God to one another and calling on one another to, to give Him. Uh, each other's allegiance because you do it to one another that's what it says isn't it In this case, it means it's another version of admonish and exhort, I think. Yeah. Yep. That's a, it's a common one. We're not good at confronting people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Sure. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I, I'm sure that's right. And the confessing sins is that you know is the same really. I don't think that most of the time it's not appropriate to do that to a large group, but I think it is important that you have a culture where people are confessing sins to some people, and in that context, being admonished, exhorted, encouraged. Um, okay, well, let's move on and uh, let's have a look at uh, Ephesians chapter four. In fact, let me read from verses 1 to 16, first off. Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by cunning, the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by each supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Uh, What I want to highlight from this chapter, first of all, is that pastoral care, that is our care of one another, must be community-centred. Christ has given us the Christian community to help us change, to help us grow. Um, and, uh, and that I think for two reasons first of all the Christian community is the best context or two implications of that the Christian community is the best context in which to grow and which to change if you want to grow as a Christian if you want to change if you want to tackle some of the uh, struggles some of the sins that you struggle with the Christian community is the best place to be and that's because it is the context that God has given for change it's better than a therapy group, a counsellor's office, or a retreat centre. It is the context that God has given. He has given you and me, the Christian community, to help us change. And then the second reason why uh, change is a community project, as it were, is that that process of change is a community process as well as an individual process. It is, as we've seen already, the whole, the church as a whole that displays God's wisdom. We make God known in the world, not just as individuals, but through our life together and our love for one another. And so that means we grow together. We have to grow together. We need to change as communities. And so that's why in those verses at the beginning there, Paul emphasises the importance of being a united community, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. So first of all then, God, uh, Christ has given the Christian community to help us change. Uh, but also Christ has given us differences in the Christian community to help us change. There we are, starting off with uh, one body, one spirit, one Lord, and uh, needing to uh, keep the unity. But that doesn't mean that we all have to be the same, uh, quite the opposite. Paul says in verse 7 that uh, to each one of us,
Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Christ has made us different. He's given each one of us a special gift, a special contribution, if you like. And then those following verses, I think, are wonderful. It it talks there about how Christ has ascended into heaven. And he has ascended so that he can fill the universe. Did you see that in uh, in, uh, verse 10? And yet at the same time, he has descended to the church through his spirit so that he can fill the church with, uh, so that he can give each one of us our own contribution to the life of the church. And what that means is you need other people to help you change and to grow. And it means other people need you for them to change and grow. You need other people and other people need you. Christ has placed each one of you in this congregation because this is the best place for you to grow but also because other people need you to grow. Paul particularly highlights the role of those who proclaim and explain and apply God's word in verse 11. Some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And that's because what changes us, as we'll see, is the word of God. It's the truth about God that changes us. And uh, so those people who bring God's word have a vital role, a sort of particularly vital role in, in shaping the uh, life and the culture of the church. But notice that uh, how Paul puts it, it's not their job to do the work of God in the church. Uh, Let me read verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Their role, the role of those who have uh, leadership or who teach God's word among you, their role is to equip you so that you can do the work of God in the church so that you can build up the body of Christ. It is all God's people who do the works of service so that the body of Christ is built up. We work together to become Christ's body. In, uh, in verse 16, in the, uh, this is from the, uh, how the New Living puts it, he said Christ makes the whole body fit together perfectly. You are not just a collection of random people. Christ has specially selected each one of us to kind of create a perfect fit. Christ has placed these people in your life to help you change and grow. And he didn't choose other people. You may think there are some other people who, were, who would have been better if they were in the church to help you grow. But God didn't choose other people. He chose these people as the best place for you to, to grow and change. When uh, I was looking at this with uh, one, of my, uh, one of the guys in our church, and he sort of said, I need to give everyone in our church a new merit in my life. They've been placed there by God. Together we extol Christ to one another. And our different experiences, not just our gifts, but our different experience, bring kind of distinctive harmonies and tones to that music as we sing the praise of Christ to one another. Paul says elsewhere that we are to comfort one another with the comfort that we've received. We benefit from all the experiences and perspectives that, each, that, 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 that are there in the church. And again, let me remind you, Paul is not talking about some idealised church with idealised people. He's writing to a real church with real people. He's not talking theory, he's talking reality. He's talking about your church. Uh, Here's one of the ways in which I think this works. Uh, Have a look at verse 31. Paul says uh, they get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now those behaviours have uh, two things in common. The first is that they all involve other people. You can't really do bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander and malice on your own. I mean, you can go off in a corner and fume quietly, but someone's going to have sparked it up in you for you. They're all responses to other people. 
But the second thing is, they all reflect, I think, uh, desires, sinful desires in our hearts that have been threatened or thwarted. When we have our certain desires as to maybe has how things should go, how the day should go, whatever it is, and then somebody comes and threatens those, that's when we get angry, that's when we get bitter, that's when we start fighting, when we can't get our own way. And so, uh, and those desires, sometimes those desires are desires for bad things, sometimes they're desires for good things that have just grown out of proportion in our hearts, so that they matter more to us than, than God and his glory. But often we don't spot them. It's like me, back, it's back to me at 7.30 and 8 o'clock. All those desires are rumbling away at 7.30. But it's not until I get downstairs and uh, my kids are, uh, have different ideas that they come to the surface. And one of the great things about living as part of a community is that in a community people come in and they kind of walk all over your idols and your hearts. Or, uh, you know, they, they come in and they start pressing the buttons, you know, of, that, that get you going. And uh, they threaten your idolatrous desires. <coughs> and that's when we respond with bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander and malice. And so that gives us a chance then to deal with those desires that are sort of nestling away in our hearts. So God is using the difficult people, the annoying people, the sinful people in your church to change your heart. Those people whose personalities are so different to yours. He's put you together so you can rub your rough edges off. It's like uh, God has put these uncut stones in a bag and now he's shaking them around. Okay? That's, sometimes how, that's how, what church life feels like, isn't it? Uh, but the end product will be beautiful gemstones. Okay? And you need to value that process because that's God making us holy it's God changing us uh, you might want to remember that next time somebody somebody's winding you up but God is smoothing you down I once uh, reminded this so someone who was uh, complaining about uh, another congregation uh, in the crowded house that they were involved with and he just said well God is doing a very good job <laughs> God has given you that person in his love as a gift to make you holy I think too, as we think about these different gifts, these different contributions that uh, God has given, we really need to see this in, uh, in the context of the Christian community. I fear a lot of talk about spiritual gifts these days is a kind of cover for self-indulgence. People talk about pursuing their gifting and finding self-fulfilment and it becomes a kind of excuse for just doing what they want to do or what they enjoy doing. Uh, someone recently spoke of uh, only operating within his gifting. And uh, wouldn't you know, administration wasn't in his gifting. So, you know, he said, I I'm not going to do any administration, just let me get on with my gifting, you know. When the Bible talks about gifts, it, it doesn't have anything to do with self-fulfillment. It's about celebrating the differences in the church. It's never, it's never addressed to an individual saying, you've got to find your, your gift and then you can sort of get, you know, you can have a fulfilling ministry. It's always addressed to a community saying, relish the fact that there are so many differences in your community. It, it, there's never a call to discover your gifting in the New Testament. The call is always to rejoice at the difference there is in the Christian community. We need people who are not sort of pursuing their little gifting. We need people who are servant-hearted, who will do, who will, who, whose concern is just to serve the community. Funnily enough, not many people discover their gifting is stacking chairs and washing dishes. But sometimes those are the jobs that need to be done. Actually, I think I'm pretty good at washing up. So I, <laughs> I think about it. Actually, I think I'm probably better than most people at washing up. <laughs> so there we are. I would rather have a servant-hearted person over an especially gifted person any day in my congregation. Uh, so let's take a moment uh, just uh, uh, in quiet. Uh, no, we won't do that. Here we go. Uh, just uh, we won't uh, just just uh, in silence. Just have a look around the room a moment. 
And uh, I wonder if you are someone who sometimes feels inferior. As if you have nothing to contribute to other people in the congregation. I want to remind you that Christ has given you to his church. Or maybe you are someone who sometimes feels superior as if others have nothing to contribute to you. I want to remind you that Christ has given his church to you. Uh, Maybe as you look around the room, I'm not going to ask you to confess this, but uh, maybe there are people you'd rather not have in the church. People you kind of think of as a problem. Well, I want you to remind you that Christ has given them to his church. Or maybe you have uh, sort of used the language of gifts to justify a self-indulgent pursuit of self-fulfillment. I want to remind you that Christ has given himself up for you. And that's the model. That's where Paul ends up in the beginning of chapter 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, we thank you for the uh, people that you have placed in this church. I thank you for the people that you've placed in my church. Thank you that you have given us to one another to help us grow and to mature and to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we might value one another. We pray that we might value the contribution that we bring and uh, make that contribution with servant hearts reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ. That we might give ourselves to one another just as he gave himself to the church. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, moving on. Or not. Here we go. Uh, no, that's where we were before. Here we go. Uh, so uh, then the, uh, we, uh, he's given the community to help us change, given us the difference to help, us grow and change and then we grow like Christ together and uh, that's what we see in uh, verses 12 to uh, 16 Paul there talks again and again about maturity about growth and maturity that's kind of present in every verse and what does maturity look like well it means growing more like the Lord Jesus Christ attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ verse 13 verse 15 we will grow in all things up into him uh, who is the head, that is Christ. One of the great things about the Christian community is it gives us models of what it means to be like Christ, of Christ-like behaviour. We observe other people modelling that to us. Um, One of the things we do when we meet each Sunday is to give people the opportunity just to talk about what God has been doing in their lives this week so that we kind of have that sense of a God who is at work, uh, answering prayer, speaking through his word, uh, giving opportunities for evangelism, helping people in temptation, reinforcing that idea that we are a community that where God is at work, where God is alive, where God is changing people, and uh, modelling what, what that means for one another. But also, again, just to reiterate this point, it's more than just a process of individual change. We are the body of Christ and uh, he is the head. And you you might want to imagine one of those uh, children's books where uh, you have uh, pictures of um, different people, a spaceman and a postman and so on. And uh, the pages are divided this way up, you know, so that you flick over the pages and you get the spaceman's head with the uh, farmer's body and the uh, uh, scuba diver's feet. Do you know those books? And it's almost as if uh, we have a head and the head is Christ and we're kind of flicking over the pages until we match, until the body of Christ matches the head. That's the process of change. And we're doing that as a community together so that we match, we reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then I think Paul sums it up very nicely in verse uh, 16. Again, I've used the New Living Translation, which I think is a great, great uh, translation in this chapter. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Well, we've seen that. Christ has given us the Christian community. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. He's given us the differences in the Christian community so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love, so that we grow like Christ together. So that's the first thing. Pastoral care must be community-centred. But then secondly, pastoral care must be gospel-centred, must be word-centred, if you like. Uh, Let me read from uh, verse 16. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. How do we grow to become more like Christ? Well, verse 13, Paul says that we become mature through our faith and knowledge of God's Son. And then in verse 14, he talks about immaturity. Immaturity is being tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching. It means being susceptible so to lies so clever they sound like the truth. That's how the New Living Translation puts it. And so you see there that it's faith and knowledge, it's teaching, it's truth that, that changes us. We need to be communities in which we are We are challenging, consoling, rebuking, exhorting and comforting one another, in which everyone is speaking truth to everyone. And then from verse 17 on, Paul tells us why it is so important. Sorry, I should have said the key one is uh, verse 15, I think. Speaking the truth in love. How do we grow? Speaking the truth in love. And then verse 17 on, Paul reminds us why it is so important, why, why speaking the truth in love is so central. In verses 17 to 19, he he says what the underlying causes of sinful behaviour are. Futile thinking, darkened understanding, ignorant minds, hardened hearts, indulged desires, continual lust. In other words, we think or we believe lies instead of trusting God's word. And so we worship what is false, we follow, we desire, we are ruled by what is false instead instead of by God himself. We believe that other things are better than God. And so we desire them more than we desire God. But all of that, says Paul, is now behind us. That's our old way of life. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. That's your old way of life. Now you have a new way of life. Verse 20 onwards. And what changes us is the truth. Again, just you, you heard of him. You were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds. The problem is deceitful desires, desires that deceive, that, that, that claim to offer more than God. 
but in fact only enslave us? The answer is the truth that is in Jesus. I'm just piling up the quotes. It's the truth in Jesus that counters the lies. It's the truth of Jesus that gives us a new desire, a desire for God and for holiness. It is the truth that sets us free. And so Paul says to the church, verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. Now I don't think there that Paul is saying, don't tell fibs. I mean, it's not that I'm saying telling fibs is a good idea. He's saying, but he's saying more than that. He's saying, speak truth to one another. Don't speak lies to another. Don't reinforce the lies of the world around us. Don't reinforce the lies of each other's heart. The lies of each other's hearts. Speak the truth to one another. And I think that's reality. I, I think he says that because, because it's so easy for us to reinforce those lies. Somebody comes to you and complaining about something. Uh, it's a very common reaction to kind of join in, isn't it? Somebody complains about something, we say, oh yeah, that really is bad. You really weren't treated well there, were you? We kind of, we kind of reinforce that, the lies underneath that complaining. Because really deep down, that goes, what, it, what it goes down to, right down at rock bottom, is God is not being good to me in this situation. Or uh, somebody is angry, you know, they really wound me up and they come to you and they talk with their anger. And instead of saying, you know, what's going on there? What, what, is it your, what is it your heart is desiring so much that it creates this response in you? Instead of doing that, we say, oh yeah, that's really bad. You know, I'd be really, I'd be storming if I was in your situation. We reinforce those for each other. And Paul says, don't do that. Speak the truth to one another. Put off falsehood. It's interesting, he said, put off your old self in verse 22. Verse 25, put off, put off falsehood. Instead, speak truthfully to your neighbour. We are to remind one another of the grace of God and the goodness of God and the greatness of God revealed in Jesus. The truth we are to speak to one another is the truth that is in Jesus, verse 21. Uh, later on, he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good, for, helpful for building one another up. We are to build one another up through the words that we say, by speaking the truth in love. Now, uh, how are we going for time? Well, it's tight, but uh, let's see if we can't... Um, oh, there we go. Speaking the truth in love. Um, I want to suggest... In terms of just to help you think about how this might be done, I want to suggest... Four liberating truths about God. First, that God is in control, so that all that happens happens within His His sovereignty. And a truth you all know, but you know, remember I saying the other day, our problem is we know it up here, but it doesn't make its way down here. Another great truth: God is big, God is majestic. One of our common, one of the common problems that lie behind a lot of our behaviour is that we fear other people. We crave their approval. We fear their rejection because we don't have a big enough view of God as the one who is to be feared. Uh, God is good. Uh, one, of our, one of the common things behind our sin is that we desire things more than we desire God. Not, you know, not if I sat you down and said, which is better? You know, you'd all give me the right answer, I'm sure. But in the moment, when we have to choose between pleasing God and pleasing our own sinful desires, we make the judgment that what, our, what the sin offers is better than what God offers in that moment. Or God is gracious. And uh, so when we, when we forget that, then we're, we're out there trying to prove ourselves. We're trying to defend ourselves. That's a big deal for me, I can tell you. I uh, brood away. If I think I've been treated unfairly, I brood away in my mind. I replay those conversations or I enact the conversations I wish I could have you know I don't know if any of you do that kind of thing and I've got to remember God is gracious God God justifies me I don't have to prove myself okay so those are the four great truths and what I want you to do in uh, groups I know uh, is consider someone who's moaning someone who's anxious someone who's worn out and to see if you can, uh, how might their problem be linked to one of those truths about God? It might not be, uh, there's not necessarily one answer to these questions. There might be a number of different ways in which, in which it's working for different people. 
And then, uh, if you have time, which you probably won't do, but what are the symptoms? Do the, do the kind of link the other way around. What are the symptoms might forgetting these truths lead to? So you start with the problem, and see if you can link it back to a truth, and then if you have time, you can start with a truth and see some of the problems it might lead to. Is that clear? Well, I, I'm just trying to say that you, when, when, somebody, when you're talking to one another, you, you can, you've got some idea of what some of the things you might say how you might speak truth in love to one another. Is that clear? Uh, <laughs> okay, let me, uh, let me uh, just to save time, give some kind of quick feedback from uh, my perspective. Um, so if, uh, if someone was moaning, it could be a number of those, but, but quite possibly it's God is good. That, but the truth they need to hear that is, is that God is good. Um, if someone's anxious, that really, that, that again, it could be a number of those, but quite possibly God is in control. That's, that's a likely one. Though, again, it could be, it could be a, any of the others, I think, probably. Um, they could be anxious because they don't feel like they're proving their worth, uh, either in an in, in, in immediate context or uh, they may be struggling with a sense of sin and so they might need to hear that God is gracious. So probably actually anxious could probably be... Uh, uh, worn out, I think, is uh, again, is something that could be all of them. Uh, there may be other factors. They may just have been sleeping in a tent on a, and woken up and, and it was cold or something. So that may be the reason. But... Uh, but if it's a kind of persistent thing, then it may be that they're trying to control their lives. They want to have control in their life because they're not really trusting that God is in control. So they're just working and working and working to try and bring order to the chaos of their lives. Or it may be that they, uh, they're working really hard to earn the money because they don't really trust that God is good and, uh, and they've set their heart on uh, material and financial worth. It may be, very often I think people work, uh, overwork because uh, they fear the, um, they, they, they want, they fear other people. They, they crave their approval. They're trying to prove themselves in a work situation that's very common. And they need to remember that God is, is bigger than, bigger than your boss. Uh, and, uh, but again, trying to prove themselves so that God is, uh, they need, and they, we, we, we offer, a lot of us, are, we work, we overwork because we're worried about, uh, we want to prove ourselves to God or to other people and they, we need to hear that God is gracious. Uh, but any kind of comments or feedback on the process as a whole rather than just the specifics of those cases? Any, uh, or questions on what I've said so far? Right. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, uh, it, it, and yeah. Let me just uh, read that because it does reinforce it. Brothers, if someone, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, and you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and this way fulfil the law of Christ. And so it goes on. Yep. Anybody? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I have a number of things just to add. I think one of those is it is speaking the truth in love. So it's not wielding the truth like a sledgehammer okay uh, and so uh, so yeah and, and, and along so, uh, so which means also uh, that, that there is sympathy and empathy but also that uh, you know in, in a lot of situations the first thing you do will be some act of kindness uh, it may be cooking somebody a meal it may be holding their hand it may be crying with them so you don't need to rush in and sort of um, Wham the truth home. And in fact, you don't need, even need to do the you must believe version. You can just say, God is good. Let me, or let me read a psalm. Let me read a passage of scripture to you. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Yes, a, a number of comments really about that. Just following up, I just want to add to that really. I think one of them is, um, you know, these things take place in a relationship. It, you can't, it, I mean, you know, sometimes you do have to kind of, you meet somebody for the first time and, you know, you, you're in a situation where you need to speak to them. But most of the time it takes place in a relationship. And if that's a relationship where you're being honest and open about your own struggles, then the idea that you come in and you say, you know, you're not, you should believe the truth about God here. Uh, th- there is a confrontation taking place there. There is a challenge. You, you're not thinking aright here. That, you might not say it as explicitly as that, but that's what's going on. Now that, but, but what's important is that that takes place in a, in, a situ- in a relationship where they know that you too are a sinner and you struggle. And that you don't, when you challenge them with the truth, it's not from a position of uh, the moral superiority. It's from a position of a fellow struggler, a fellow... Exper- um, person who experiences grace. One of the one of the ways that you can uh, t- often it helps if you are confronting someone or, or you wanting to tell them about the truth is to say, actually, I had a similar experience, and I really stewed up. You know, I got such a stew about it all, and then I just hit me that you know actually God is in control, and I didn't need to worry. So just tell your own story, but tell it warts and all kind of thing, you know, Cause so that you are a sinner talking to a sinner about the grace of God not some kind of morally wonderful person sort of condemning this miserable person who can't get their lives sorted and there's another thing I wanted to say is this isn't easy I mean that's the truth isn't it? it in one sense it's so simple isn't it God is in control I don't need to worry that's what Jesus says in Luke 12 but boy, day by day we have to struggle to remember those truths in the moment. And so you, 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 I, I say to people, you know, I, I, I might say, you, know, you should remember that God is in control, but I know it's not easy. Every day it's a struggle to believe. I know it is. It is for me. Because that's the reality, isn't it? So don't go in with a glib kind of, uh, you just need to believe God's in control and then your problem will go away. It, it, just because life just isn't like that. The human hearts aren't like that. It is a day by day struggle. To keep coming back. That's, that's why we need the Christian community, because we need to have people who will keep bringing us back to the truth. Because our own hearts are wandering off all over the place. We need one another. That's why uh, in Hebrews it says, encourage one another daily. I can't, I, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I can't manage on a week-by-week week basis. I need, I need the truth from the Christian community daily uh, to keep me going. What I do want you to have, though, is confidence in God's word. Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. What is it that will revive souls? It is the law of God. It is the word of God. And all of you can, whoops, all of you can speak that. You don't even have to do the analysis. You don't even have to know whether the anxious person is uh, A, B, C or D or anything. You, know? you can still speak the truth of God's word to them. You can, you can read a portion of scripture. You can quote a hymn. You can pray with them. You can do it. And you can be be God's gift to them in that situation by speaking truth to them. Uh, now, what, you know, I was going to get you thinking, why is it that we don't do this? And there are all sorts of reasons, but I think it's because we don't really believe that Christ has given us to the church and the church to us. If we really got that in our heads, then we would, we would go for this, wouldn't we? That's the way that we can live and grow. Uh, what does it require? It requires a sharing lives. As I said a moment ago, it's not just a kind of uh, 
sort of dive in like the paratroopers and uh, fire a bit of God's word around and then sort of exit out. It is all takes place in the context of a relationship and that means spending time with one another. It means being vulnerable with one another and open with one another and accountable with one another. It also means laughing together and mucking around together. That's the, those are, that's the stuff of relationship, doing jobs together. That's where, you, that's where the relationship grows, that the, you then are able to uh, help one another. But it does also mean speaking truth. And uh, I think your experience, in terms of your, what you fed back about the one anothering you find difficult, I'm sure that's very common. That confronting, exhorting, is what we find difficult. And what that means is that, uh, one of the dangers is that we then only do it in times of crisis. So as a result, speaking the truth in love almost kind of creates a crisis. Somebody comes and challenges you suddenly one day and suddenly, whoa, what, what was that all about? You know, where did that come from? We need to have a culture where this is normal day by day stuff. We, you know, church discipline is, is, you know, we think of that as excommunicating people from the church. What we need, it should be a lifestyle of discipling one another where it's just normal to speak truth to one another. That becomes normal every day. And then it's not such a big deal when somebody speaks truth to your heart. You see what I'm saying? Uh, I think, yeah. Any, any other comments or questions? It's very warm in here and you're flagging, I can see that. And dinner is, you can hear the rattle of dinner going on, so that's fine. Um, I've put this other material in, the, uh, in, uh, in your notes versus on pages 12 and 13. Uh, some ideas if uh, people uh, begin to talk about their sin with you, how you should respond to that. Some ideas, some questions really to help you think about how you can take it on. And some ideas for doing that. And then also uh, some thoughts on uh, some of the reasons that people don't uh, have relationships that are geared or where, where we go that next stage where we are able to encourage uh, one another to grow and change um, but you can read those at your leisure or even now in fact as you're all doing um, let me pray Father we thank you that you have given us your word and that it does revive our souls. And, uh, yeah, we pray that we might be people who turn to your word when, uh, when we are struggling. And we thank you too that we, you have given us the Christian community as the context in which we can grow and change. As people who can speak the truth to one another and speak it in love, who can show that love, who can embody that love in uh, the practical care. And uh, Father, I pray that more and more that might be our experience, that we might be a community, that we might be communities who are speaking truth in love to one another, where there is that love, where there are those relationships, where there is that openness, uh, but where we don't just uh, put our arm around, but where we also speak the truth, where we also bring one another back to the Lord Jesus Christ, where we point one another to the Saviour, where we extol your virtues, where we, uh, where we delight in your uh, control, your goodness, your graciousness, uh, and your majesty. Um, yeah, may we be God-centered, word-centered communities, caring for one another. In Jesus' name. Amen.